Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Today, a provincial watchdog is going to look into the police response to the violence at Pride. Hamilton and Burlington Health Organizations want to be the first to adopt a major overhaul of the health care system. And the heat wave is upon us. When's this going to end and what's going on? The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Yesterday, as we told you, it was a uh, raucous meeting at Hamilton City Hall when the Police Services Board finally met. Uh, There was a delay as the gallery had to be cleared at one point, uh, and eventually a resolution was arrived at. Uh, The provincial watchdog is going to be looking into police responses to the violence at Pride. Uh, This comes as the city's police mull over whether to do a separate review themselves. Uh, There's some interesting information and relatively new information to members of the board. Uh, To that end, to try to explain exactly what's going on and what they're going to be doing going forward, we are pleased to welcome to the program uh, Tom Jackson, who of course is the city councilor for Ward 6 and of course a member of the Hamilton Police Services Board. Tom, thanks so much for joining us. Great to have you with us today. Bill, it's been a while, and it's great to be back on your show. Much appreciated. Well, this is a, a pretty rough time for an awful lot of people in this community for a variety of reasons, and a lot of people were looking to this meeting yesterday, Tom, to say, look, maybe we can finally get some clarity, maybe we can finally get some answers. Uh, w- give me your read. Did, did you attain that goal? Did you get close to that goal yesterday? The meeting didn't start off in the finest fashion, uh, Bill, and uh, I think the weather, the hot and stickiness was kind of symbolic of uh, the raucous manner in which the meeting started yesterday, unfortunately. But I'm I'm comfortable and fine where the uh, board landed. And um, basically, Bill, uh, I had a series of questions that I asked of the chief after we uh, reconvened, after the ones who were shouting the vulgarities, unfortunately, and... Um, were creating the outbursts, uh, left the chamber. And, you know, Bill, I just want to say on that point alone, if, if you allow me, I have so much respect for the seat of local government being our city hall and the council chambers. And the vulgarity and outbursts like that, to me, is counterproductive. Anyways, after we reconvened about a half hour later, we got into a series of questions from things that we learned. The bottom line um, is that um, to conduct... Um, Two, no, two service complaints with the OIPRD have already been launched, I presume, by citizens, and one conduct complaint, which is uh, obviously against, um, I presume, a member of the uh, service itself. But let's focus on the two service complaints. Yeah. So the, so the Office of the Independent Police Review Directorate, um, they're mandated and compelled then to decide what to do with that complaint and the two service complaints. And um, what we learned yesterday was they will forward that to the Hamilton police service. And once it's forwarded, the chief will undertake his review and report back to um, both the, I believe the uh, complainants and um, the OIPRD. And then the OI and then the complainants can decide if they're satisfied or not, they can then file an appeal to the Hamilton police services board. So now, I, want, I want to stop you right there. I was watching, actually, yep. yesterday, the live stream of this, Tom, and I, I, yes. I, I watched your segment of this with great interest. Uh, you asked some very pertinent questions, uh, obviously pulling on the experience. I mean, you were on the Police Services Board previously, and I know you can't kind of compare that time to this time now. Yes. Uh, and the questions were rather interesting, but you had some concerns once that process that you just described to us was explained to the board, and it was all about optics. Maybe explain that to our listeners. So for me, Bill, and I... I, I know for there was probably moans and groans um, 
in the community and for those that remained in the gallery from the LGBTQ side of this uh, matter from what happened June 15th, to have the OIPRD, who are mandated legally, my understanding, upon receiving service complaints, to forward that to the local chief of police of that police service to conduct an internal review. Now, and, and, and to that point, uh, I know yes. that this is where your discomfort came in, but I just wanted yes. to underscore, because I know that uh, they, they made this clear to your board members yesterday, this was not your choice. This is not the police choice to say, hey, we're going to investigate ourselves. This is the process that was set up. Correct, Bill. That is set up by the provincial government and the ministry and solicitor general. And this, this would this, this same process would be in place whether this was Toronto, Hamilton, Kingston, any other place. It's all it's a provincial set of guidelines. You're accurate about that, Bill. So, I then chimed in saying, you know, the optics of that, in light of the heightened escalated tensions that unfortunately escalated and occurred. Uh, with the violence on June 15th at Gage Park, the optics for me, I was worried that some in the community may not see that as much as the chief, Chief Gerd, would conduct a very, very professional, thorough review. In fact, he commented on that and how if there was, if there was hypothetically any, um, any um, punishment to be meted out or whatever, uh, he, would, he, he was not afraid to, um, to recommend that or carry that out. My worry about the optics of that was the Hamilton Police Service investigating itself and for whatever the officers in command that day did or did not do, I just felt that an independent review, whether running concurrently with OIPRD or later on, was in order. And that's why I, um, I, I moved the motion that we would um, have staff report back on options on the upside-downside of a further independent, impartial review, retired judge. I don't know if there's another potential um, impartial public independent agency out there. Whatever that uh, form or fashion might take, I just felt that uh, a totally separate review bill from um, the Hamilton Police Service reviewing itself was in order, and staff are going to report back costs, pros and cons, options possibly, hopefully over the next month, but as expeditiously as possible. All right, and again, I, I'm going to go over that again, Tom, if you don't mind, just bear with me on here, because I've seen some of the response on social media to what you uh, did do mm-hmm. yesterday, uh, and there's been some misinterpretation, uh, which I'm going to assume is, is, is accidental, but th- let's just put this on the record, okay? This was not the police services board saying, well, instead of this independent review, we're going to let these guys do this and let the police investigate themselves. The fact that somebody, and you don't even know who it is yet, file those charges against police, that kicks this process into gear. You can't do anything about it. Nothing this this is not yes. a decision by the Police Services Board to have this, 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 this process start. The fact that somebody filed charges means bingo. Now that has to happen. So you want to know what other options you have. You have not abandoned the idea of, of an independent review. Absolutely, Bill. So what we, but what we could have done yesterday was abandoned the thought or the pursuit of an independent review but the police board unanimously said, no, we want to explore um, what the upside and downside is for an independent review, and then we can decide costs, et cetera, and moving forward. So, Bill, you're absolutely accurate. The police board had no say whatsoever once official complaints, service complaints were filed, two of them that the chief and the legal counsel uh, to the police service admitted yesterday. And that is mandated by the Office of the Independent Police Review Directorate to carry that forward. 
police board has nothing to say or say, oh, well, you know what? Uh, we now know we don't need an independent review. It's redundant. Uh, that'll be carried out on its own. No. We could have yesterday said, yep, let the OIPRD do what they're going to do because they're mandated to. And you know what? That's sufficient for the board. But I was pleased, Bill, that at least at this point in time, the board has not said no to looking at after and pursuing its own independent review. All right, so that's going to happen, and, and I understand at the same time, I think it was you or Pat Mandy, I forget which one of you uh, actually made the point, that had you decided, oh, we're going to do the independent review at the same time, uh, the concern is you're going to be stepping on each other's toes, uh, So yes. because you don't even know what they're going to do, because you have no say or any part in the review that that's going to be done. Correct, Bill, and, and board member uh, Mandy was the one who pointed okay. that out um, very cleverly. Yeah, there's a lot and of back know, and Bill- forth there. And Bill, if I could say just to some of the things that I learned yesterday, if I if I might please, um, you know, uh, obviously I was asking the chief about deployment. He obviously could not go into any more depth of uh, what the deployment was or wasn't in terms of numbers, whatever. That would all be part of now the service uh, complaints and the official review going forward. Um, but I asked him about hate-based mitigation processes, and where I'm coming from, Bill, on this, you know, I said as well. I have a, I'm very proud of the network I have in um, many of our multicultural, multiracial, multireligious communities. I'm the first to admit I really don't have a network with the LGBTQ community. I don't have an association. But, you know, I guess the extreme worst fear of that community was realized in Toronto and the, with the MacArthur situation. And obviously that's the worst horrendous, brutal um, case of fear and the extreme measures that one man took out. Uh, brutalizing eight men simply because they were gay men. And so that's the perspective, Bill. If the Pride Festival organizers wanted to simply have a festival in one small part of Gage Park, could they not have had that safely, peacefully, happily with anybody that wanted to join them? That's where my perspective was coming from in trying to flush out exactly what happened, what didn't happen. Another thing I learned as well, Bill, was that... um, we, we have an internal advisory uh, committee within Hamilton Police Services. Under Chief Mullen's time, apparently it was a hybrid that also included citizen volunteers as part of it, because I asked this question of Chief Gert yesterday. Somewhere after Mullen, Chief Mullen left, along the way, the previous administration of Chief Gert, it was changed so that it became more of an internal advisory committee on LGBTQ matters. And uh, one of the presenters yesterday, uh, Lila Miklos, she uh, talked about that, confirmed that. And um, I think uh, we should resurrect the thought of um, including citizen volunteers on that internal advisory Hamilton Police Services Committee to the chief about LGBTQ matters. And one other thing, Bill, it was somewhat of a celebration time yesterday, something I've pushed for for six months since I got back on the board, all with the board's support in December. I was dismayed in December when I found out a very important position, the community relations coordinator position, that would have so much invaluable input into situations like this, be proactive, preventative with our diverse communities. I was somewhat dismayed to hear when I got on the board in December, it had been vacant for about six months. And if you may recall the name of Sandra Wilson, yep. Afro-Canadian woman in our community. Yep, was a guest on the show many times. Well, just did a fabulous job for about 15-plus years in that role, set the high, uh, a high bar, the high standard. 
And so anyways, we went through a couple of advertisements uh, and, and fast forward, we had about 500 applications. I was overwhelmed with the incredible interest in our community, 500 applications for this one position. And yesterday was a celebration time. Uh, Deputy Bergen announced our new community relations coordinator. She has some history in Stony Creek. Her name's Jazz Dillon, D-H-I-L-L-O-N, of uh, Indian ancestry from the country, the nation of India. Uh, has experience with um, the Special Investigation Units of Ontario, work with placing in BC and elsewhere, tremendous uh, impeccable credentials. She was introduced yesterday, and I think that's going to be hopefully a part of a new era of uh, consultation and engagement moving forward, Bill. All right. Uh, speaking of moving forward, nice segue, Tom. Uh, just a, a, in the latter part of the meeting yesterday, we did talk about, and you did talk about with the board, uh, of uh, what we're going to do moving forward. Now, you uh, got some sort of a time frame about how long this uh, this in- investigation that uh, is going to be going on right now is going to take. And uh, I know much to the chagrin of you and some of the other board members, it could well be right through the summer, and it might be uh, September or so. But you suggested yeah. a special meeting in August, if nothing else, in the way of an update, so people still understand that there is a process in place here and that you're trying to move the ball forward. We are, Bill. Now, the OIPRD, I believe Chief Gerd, if memory serves me right yesterday, said that once he re- receives the uh, the official word from the OIPRD to conduct the uh, review, it'll be about, I believe he said, about a two-month, two-and-a-half-month process, of which he's compelled uh, to finish the review. From our standpoint with the Police Services Board, again, that we uh, said we would like to at least pursue the uh, feasibility of our own independent review. We don't uh, typically have meetings in August for some vacation, so for some common vacation time for board members. But I suggested in light of the heightened awareness and uh, what the community is experiencing overall, that uh, if there was the possibility, the chairman, Chairman Eisenberger, at any time, as you recall, your time on uh, council bill, the chairman of a committee can call a special meeting as long as they can get quorum. So I suggested instead of automatically waiting for our September meeting, if it was possible, let's see if we could have an August meeting. Well, you, because you're going to have that information from staff about what options you might have, and it would not make any sense. And again, I think optically it would look awful for you guys to just wait until the fall to say, oh yeah, we'll, we'll pick up this discussion later on. So I'd like to see that happen. There's, I know, I know there's a lot to, to unpackage here because of all the events that happened yesterday. But uh, I, I wanted you to come on today, at least, Tom, and, and explain to the, our listeners exactly what the, the board is trying to do in a situation like this. And, uh, I, I, you know, in a perfect world, you would have had this whole thing resolved yesterday, but this is not a perfect world. So there's a process that's in place, and uh, we're going to have to wait for that. But there are some things that you can be doing, and hopefully this meeting that's being proposed in August uh, will give you the opportunity to do just that. And uh, Absolutely, Bill. And I'm very pleased that I think it was on your show uh, that Chief Gert uh, was uh, welcoming um, a review, and I, I was very pleased to hear that from our chief. And and I want to say, Bill, I got back on the police board after a 13-year absence because overall I believe in public safety. I believe in the great work that our Hamilton Police Service overall do, and we've got terrific leadership, And but we've got issues and we need to deal with them. And I think yesterday, with a lot of things we learned and with reasonable um, minds and voices at the table, I think we can accomplish a lot, Bill, and as long as we keep talking, I think we can get some successful outcomes where everyone can be respected at the end of the day. Tom Jackson, as always, Tom, thanks so much for the time today. Really appreciate it. Have a great weekend, Bill. Thank you. You too. Uh, Police Board Member Tom Jackson. 
You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. There's a great deal of concern and consternation a while back, a few weeks ago, when Health Minister Christine Elliott announced that they were basically blowing up, for all intents and purposes, the way that healthcare was being monitored and handed out right through the province of Ontario. We had things, well, we had you know the old days, the district health councils, and then, of course, the, the Lins. Uh, those are gone now because of the edict from uh, Queen's Park. Uh, but there was some concern that there was going to be some, and I'll use that ugly word again, amalgamation of health services and the way it's delivered. Well, uh, the cities of Burlington and Hamilton decided to be proactive on this, and uh, they've come up with a plan that they want to present to the to the provincial government, which might just assuage some of the concerns that have been raised over this over the last little while. Paul Johnson, who is the General Manager of Health and Safety Communities for the City of Hamilton, is with us here on the Bill Kelly Show to explain. Paul, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing very well, Bill. Yourself? Good, good. I hope it's air-conditioned where you are. Yeah, and I'm in a short sleeve shirt today. I just couldn't pull off the suit look today. <laughs> that's it. Well, that's it. Yeah, I think that's okay. Cut you some slack on a day like this. Give me. I, I tried to give a little bit of background, Paul. Maybe you could put a uh, a little more meat on the bones here about exactly how this whole idea came to be. So certainly, this uh, this government and the Ministry of Health has, has said that uh, they wish to to uh, reinvent healthcare in the province of Ontario and restructure it. And we've heard about you know, this super health agency that's bringing together a number of elements. But another uh, piece of this was that at the more local level, the creation of what they're calling Ontario health teams uh, is the way that locally healthcare will be coordinated in a stronger way, uh, funded through a single kind of accountability structure and allowing communities to actually build a plan that works well for the delivery of a variety of health services. And when I talk about health, I'm talking about health in the broadest sense of the term, both the things that happen in doctor's offices and hospitals, but as well as the the huge amount of work that happens in community, uh, keeping people healthy. So the opportunity was provided by the ministry for communities to submit a a, really a self-assessment. Where are you in your integration work in terms of health? And through that a process, over 150 applications were submitted, and we were really pleased to hear just the other day that Hamilton has been asked uh, to submit a full proposal to, uh, to to outline how we see a better integrated and uh, supportive healthcare system for Hamiltonians. Well, because one of the concerns, and I heard this certainly uh, as we talked about this, uh, and I expressed it to the minister, uh, Minister Elliott was on a show uh, the day after they made this, this announcement at Queen's Park, was uh, are we losing control of, of, of any input into healthcare delivery? This idea of the super board, I think, actually scared an awful lot of people, Paul, because we had had local input into health delivery uh, and health services, as I mentioned, through things like the District Health Council and the LINs. And uh, in the absence of those, we weren't sure what's going to happen, but it sounds as if they're going to try to rework that same basic concept, uh, maybe a little bit differently with a different name, but the, the intent is going to be the same, is it not? It is. It really is about uh, local providers of, of health services coming together and deciding how they will uh, look at a, a governance structure that will allow for performance and, and the delivery of services to happen extremely well, uh, but also do a better job of coordinating. And, you know, Bill, when I say the we, uh, the we in Hamilton, is a, as we always do in Hamilton, it's a large table of supporters. Uh, we've got both of our, our hospital systems at the table, primary care, community providers, long-term care providers. Uh, we've already, in the very short time we had to pull together our self-assessment, brought together a, a great group of people. And what I think, I'm not sure whether it's unique, because I don't know of all the other 150 applications that were submitted, but I do know that we are one of the few that right from the very beginning uh, understood the need for the patient voice to be part of this. The co-chairs of our 
uh, table that's putting forward these ideas are patient advisors uh, to to Hamilton Health Sciences in St. Joe's. And uh, John and Bernice, who actually co-chair our group, uh, make sure that we are from the very earliest stages of our development taking into account the patient's experience. Because I would say that's the driving force we hear from the ministry, is that right now we make patients do an awful lot of work as they navigate between some very large systems, whether it's long-term care, uh, hospital care, their own uh, family doctor, all those types of things. And really what the system should be doing is saying, we've got our act together, and you as the patient uh, will be able to more seamlessly go uh, between those. And that's an easy comment to make, and it's been made many, many times by many, many ministers of health, I'm sure. Uh, the, the real challenge that's been provided to communities is, uh, you know, go out and try and figure out a structure that actually makes that work. And just to, uh, you know, to let you know, Hamilton is one of only 31 of those uh, over 150 applications that's been invited to produce a full submission for the Ministry of Health this fall. Well, and, and again, I use the analogy. It's the old idea that, you know, when somebody gives you lemons, you try to make lemonade. I know that may sound a little trite, but but it works. I mean, the same thing happened back in the mid-1990s, way before your time, Paul. Uh, but uh, uh, when the social service uh, programs were all uh, downloaded onto the into the municipalities, and and it, you know we wrung our hands in consternation and justifiably so. But Hamilton came up with a plan. Uh, Mike Schuster was in charge of the social service department at the time, and yep. and as it, hit, it it was so good. As a matter of fact, they used it as a template for all the other municipalities. Uh, and and it seems as if the same thing is happening here again. You guys are thinking outside the box here. And and I like the wow. idea that your co- two co-chairs, John Fleming and Bernie King. Our, our patients, former patients, uh, because one of the big criticisms, of course, in healthcare delivery has always been uh, that it seemed to be top down. You know, well meaning people in administration, but you know, basically saying, hey, I'm the one that's in the hospital bed, I'm the one that's in the gurney, maybe you should listen to what I've got to say, and you're, you're doing that here. Uh, we we really are, and it will be embedded, you know, as I say, right from the start in leadership, but also in terms of all of the working groups that will look at how we pull this proposal together. And, you know, it's it's often said that there's a, a big part of the healthcare system that's unpaid, but is really critical, and that's the patients themselves. The amount of hours of work that we ask patients to do in order of understanding the stuff that's being presented to them and uh, even just the logistics of getting to and from what needs to happen uh, is is obviously a volunteer effort by that by that patient, but is critically important to the success. And how do we work better with patients so that less of their time is spent trying to figure out a system which is large and complex, and more of their time is just focused on on um, ans- asking the right questions and doing the right things in their own care. Uh, and that's part of the reason that the government has also said digital transformation has to be part of this. We need to use more of the tools so we can place uh, healthcare information in the hands of patients, uh, but also make sure that we can coordinate better between between services. And the great news is in Hamilton, we've got lots to build on. You know, even in, in the city of Hamilton, we're doing remote monitoring of patients through paramedics as a pilot. It's been extremely successful in cutting down 911 calls. We have the integrated care model of St. Joe's, which is uh, really a, a great way of looking at uh, the patient-first approach, which is, you know, as, as you're discharged and are, are, are working through the recovery of, of what you're working on, here's one number to call. And you don't need to know who to call. You just need to know the number to call. And then the system will figure out whether you actually need a nurse or, or, to, or a doctor to come and see you or whether you just need to be reassured that things are, are actually going okay. And all of those things will do two things. One is better patient outcomes. But the second is it will make our system uh, a little less chaotic and also 
cut down on some of the wait times for for some of the services, including the services in emergency departments. It's got to be gratifying, though, Paul, as as you guys move forward on this. Uh, once the, the 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 super board and the and the government themselves, obviously, pretty much set the parameters and said, "Here's what we want you guys to do." Uh, there had to be a realization around your table to say, we're already doing most of that. Uh, it's, been, it's been happening here in Hamilton for quite some time. It, it is, uh, but, you know, I'd say two things are happening. One is that we really do believe there's a ton of assets that we can build on, but I will say that we've also been very reflective to say uh, if it was that good, we wouldn't be transforming anything. So there are clearly things that we can do much better and need to do much better, and there will be some tough conversations along the way. I mean, it, it feels good and it sounds good right now, and, and we've had great conversations, but we know that uh, there are extreme challenges. Just talk to anybody who's trying to navigate home care and, and get and get uh, you know care in their homes that they need. Uh, talk to, to families about access to long-term care and supports there. And then we just know that people sometimes are in the wrong places. Uh, either that means t- staying too long in hospital because they can't, they can't find an appropriate place to, to transition back, or we're, we're, we're just not providing the right kinds of housing with supports in order to keep people out of hospitals and out of more expensive care. So there is a ton that we need to work on. But two things that Hamilton's uh, good at, and that's going to come to the fore, is one is we've got innovative programs already. And then the second piece is, uh, you know, we really have a, a spirit of collaboration, and that was why we could quickly pull together a very diverse uh, group of people and, and, and work on it. So I know the government for a long time, you know, you look at the cancer care that we're uh, afforded here in Hamilton through Hamilton Health Sciences, uh, you know, uh, class leading, not just in the country, but around the world. And we're just going to build on the things that we know work well and, and try and do the things that are are not working well a little bit better. Well, and, and the collaboration between Hamilton and Burlington is a key part of this, too. Not the first time these two communities have collaborated and on, on so many other things, and there's been a shared benefit to both communities when that happens. Uh, this This looks like a pretty good fit. Well, it is. And in, and in fact, the, the ministry has been quite clear that for the 31 people who are submitting uh, next stage proposals, they're actually going to develop a bit of a community of practice. Uh, you know, healthcare delivery is a local issue in terms of some of the uniquenesses, both of populations, uh, because in Hamilton, you know, we're not the same as Burlington, we're not the same as Oshawa, we're not the same as, as northern communities, but there are elements of healthcare delivery that are very common, and, and so we need to be careful. Local governance and local decision-making bill is always a good thing because you can respond, but what you don't want at the end of the day is all of these Ontario health teams and all of these communities to be so radically different that if you were ever to move uh, sometime in your life, Life, that you wouldn't understand the healthcare system from one community to another. And so I think that there's this sharing that will take place. But, um, you know, Hamiltonians should know that, uh, you know, this group is really focused on healthcare delivery in Hamilton and what Hamilton's, uh, in, in, on occasion, unique needs are. And ultimately, we'll be looking at the data in Hamilton and saying, how do we change some of the outcomes which are unique to this city? Uh, and this, there's some good news here. Obviously, the fact that the province likes what you've done so far, uh, the fact that there's great community support for this and enthusiasm to try to set, to move this thing forward. But uh, the, there's there's some pretty tough days ahead. I mean, there's some good, very, very difficult challenges and some tough decisions that are going to have to be made. I mean, the, uh, the, I think the minister made it pretty clear when she was on this program, Paul. She did not say, okay, you guys reform this and just tell it what you need and we'll write the check for it. Uh, there's going to be financial concerns. Uh, there's going to have to be some discussions about bricks and mortar too, not just about services. And, and that's going to get that's going to get very ugly for some people because they're going to have to make some tough calls here. 
Yeah, you know, it, just about every document we've seen has uh, had a stress line in it about there are no no new resources for this this work to occur and and I think again that's why we're we're saying to folks as they come around the table uh, if you think this is an opportunity to sit at a table and then and then have a, a portion of new resources just allocated to you well that's not what we're here so if you're if you're willing to roll up your sleeves and actually talk about how we can better utilize our resources we want you at the table uh, if you're just interested in new funding uh, you're probably going to be sorely disappointed and you know I think until we get to the stage where we really truly know what our what our deficiencies are our first stage has to be let's make sure that we can confidently say that we are utilizing the current resources to the best of our possible ability and um, I think when you listen around the table a lot of people are saying there are areas where we could do a better job it may not be reduction of dollars it would be using our dollars to do more because we're doing it in a coordinated way and you're right there's going to be tough discussions about who does what where we do it and um, and then at some point we're going to need the government to be a strong partner in doing two things one is looking at regulations and legislation and helping us to be a bit more nimble and some of that is uh, you know often people say well it must be the institutions that are holding people back Sometimes it's legislation that's holding us back, and so we may need some tweaks to that in order to deliver better care. And then the second piece is, at some stage, we do have to talk about resources, and our expectation is that there will need to be targeted investments to help us uh, do better. But, you know, those days are to come, and um, what I'm happy to to hear so far out of the people that uh, we're working with, all the partners, is they get it, both that there's good stuff we can build on, but also stuff we need to work on. And, and some stuff, as I, I, you've already been quoted as saying, there's, there's some small stuff here that, that, that you guys can do without too much difficulty at all, but the larger decisions, as you say, is going to take an awful lot of support from the provincial government here. Uh, and you've done your homework on this. I mean, if, if there's going to be some tough calls to make and some tough recommendations, it's going to have to be fact-based. Uh, and whoever makes those recommendations is going to have to have a stack of stuff in front of them that says, here's why we have to do this. And we've been really lucky in Hamilton. You know, for years, uh, we, we've all been data-driven. Uh, you know, sometimes that's been a bit siloed, so we're looking at our own silo data. But uh, what we're doing now is sharing that information, and whether it's hospital data, whether it's public health information. Uh, you know, one of the things that's been really interesting early on around the table is everybody was talking about, you know, the burning platform we have to do this in Hamilton is the Code Red series that talked about the disparities in health outcomes as well as economic and social outcomes uh, across neighborhoods. And so, you know, we have lots of information that will help us understand where we need to do a better job. Uh, and, and that's right. This isn't a feel exercise of I feel like we should do this service or that service. Uh, this is going to be based on some metrics, both locally, and then you can you can guarantee it. We're going to have some provincial uh, metrics that they're going to want us to achieve. Not the least of which is uh, reducing the amount of, um, of of offload delays and and hallway medicine, as it's called, uh, within our hospital systems. How uh, further down? How far down the road are you on this about composition of of this board? I mean, we've talked about the co-chairs, etc. But I just harken back to my experience when I was on the district health council back around seventeen, eighteen years ago. I guess now uh, there was a provincial representative at all the meetings from the Ministry of Health, not the government side, but from the ministry itself. Uh, to kind of guide through the meetings and say, yeah, we can do this, I can ask about this, or no, don't even go there, that sort of thing. It's it's good to have that, that individual or have that immediate input into a situation like this. Well, if this was like a World Cup soccer game, we're in that little warm-up room kicking the ball around okay. right now, getting ready to take the field. Um, you know, the first step we've taken is really a self-assessment of our community, and we've suggested to the government that we are ready to take these next steps, and they have agreed 
So now we move on to a more fulsome proposal, which will have to put in place the very serious things that you talk about, which is one of them is governance. So right now, this is a collaborative collection of people at the table willing to work together. We're going to have to look at at governance because at the end of the day, the government's been pretty clear. They want a sort of single accountability point, uh, and that means, you know, funding not flowing to 100 different directions, funding flowing funding flowing centrally, and, and then deciding where those services are best utilized. Uh, the good news is the government's going to be there with us um, uh, every step. Uh, they'll have somebody that's a, a key contact for us as we're developing our next stage application. And their success is our success, and our success is their success. And I think the you know the Ministry of Health understands that, and we've been we've been supported so far. But this has been very much an early exercise, and I would say that the real heavy lifting now starts. We've got until early October to submit our full application, and then uh, they'll review that, and then we'll get going. Uh, hopefully early in the new year with some of these uh, some of these steps. And then I think the last thing to say is that, you know, you're not going to transform this type of a system, this large of a system, in a few months. This is going to take years and probably decades, but you got to start somewhere, and that's why we're prioritizing some populations. We'll be looking at some of those early stages that we can do things better, and we'll be monitored along the way. So, yeah, it's early stages, but I don't think that should be where people go, oh, I guess, you know, nothing's going to happen. Uh, we've, we're moving with pace, which is good. And, and very quickly, uh, since you mentioned patients, uh, you know, patient-centric services in an awful lot of these things, i, I got to think public consultation's got to be part of that process once you get the ball rolling. Oh, absolutely. Uh, both consultation with providers, so we understand uh, what's going on in a variety of areas in the community, uh, but then also how do we speak with more patients. And, uh, you know, Bernice has been a, a real leader in this. Uh, uh, she's been already connecting with patient groups and patient advisors and asking how we can be able to get to more people quickly uh, and, and do some of that consultation. Uh, we'll be engaging along the way. It's 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 got to be part of this because if this truly will be about responding to local needs, then we're going to have to hear uh, the good, the bad, and the otherwise um, from a variety of folks who are part of the system, including patients. Paul Johnson, General Manager, Health and Safety Communities uh, for the City of Hamilton. Paul, as always, thanks for this. Have a great weekend. Yeah, you too, Bill. Thanks. Take care. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. To paraphrase Mark Twain, everybody talks about the weather. Nobody can do much about it. Uh, we're in a heat wave right now. Uh, Humidex readings are just off the map right now. And, uh, well, it's uh, 10.08 right now, and it's 30 degrees, 86 Fahrenheit outside right now. And, and, and it's on the upward trend. So what's going on here? Uh, Dave Phillips, Senior Climatologist with Environment Canada, joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show. Dave, how are you doing this morning? I'm well, Bill. Trying to stay uh, stay cool here, um, but it's a bit of a struggle. And but hey, uh, you're right. I mean, we've waited a long time for these uh, kind of um, elevated temperatures. Last year, well, I remember you were on the show in early June, and I think I asked you at that time, "Where is summer? What's going on here?" Because remember, we still had kind of a. It wasn't even spring. I mean, it was. No, it exactly. was kind of. We had a kind of a messy uh, a couple of months there. And I said, you know, I'm looking for some warm weather here. Well, yeah. it's here in it's here. in a big way. Bill, I think spring and summer arrived at the same time uh, in at the end of uh, June, and we certainly got rid of uh, a lot of the rain that we'd had. I mean, uh, farmers were really beside themselves. Seeding hadn't really even started in uh, by early June, and um, but no, we we are in a, a bit of a heat wave. I mean, it's a two-day event, but I think it really maybe began a couple of days ago. I always look for the 
big signal for me, Bill, is the nights that stay above 20. Yeah. And uh, we've had uh, three of them so far, and then tonight, and then maybe uh, maybe Sunday morning before the weather breaks. So, you know, four or five of those, and this is the first time the temperatures have stayed elevated above the 20-degree uh, uh, mark. But so many of us uh, look at, say, hey, anything above 30 uh, sort of counts in that heat wave column. And, you know, this day, Bill, is, I mean, hey, there's no diminishing it. I mean, we're talking about a high of 34 degrees, and that's in the shade, and that would be at the airport. So you can imagine in some parts of the city, it's even going to be warmer than that. Normal would be 27, so that's about 7 degrees warmer than normal. But, Bill, you know, the last time we saw a temperature as warm as 34 in Hamilton was like uh, six or seven years ago. So we know that this day, the morning, the temperature this morning, the, the, the what I was able to track was 21.7 was the low point, so the coolest moment of the of the day was uh, about five o'clock, twenty-one point seven, and um, uh, or I'm sorry, twenty-one point nine. The record's twenty-one point seven. So already we know this has been the warmest minimum temperature, a bit of an exotic kind of record, but nevertheless, it's important from a health point of view. And so certainly we've already broken that record, and I, we probably break a record today because well, we have different kind of records, a bit fractured in Hamilton. You know, at the airport, I think over the last fifty some years. The warmest we ever had on July the 19th was 32.5. I mean, we may have that by by noontime. Mm -hmm. So um, clearly today will be the warmest day of the summer. But, you know, when we look over it, uh, uh, Bill, I think all we've really had were uh, have been not counting today, but three days above 30. This time last year, we had 12 of those suckers. and, And I think we've had maybe... You know, um, a one uh, maybe I think there's, I've counted maybe six or seven hours with the humidex was above forty this year. Well, last year this time we had maybe twenty five to thirty. So a, a difference from last year, but nevertheless it has arrived. And uh, hey, some people like it and some people don't. Dave, the uh, forecast as I was reading this on my my app here is uh, it, well, as you say, a high today expected around thirty four. Said feels like forty four. How do they make that determination? Well, it, it's really um, um, a, it's, it's a matter of looking at the at the humidity, of course, and um, we know that under jungle kind of air, uh, uh, hot and uh, moist, um, we 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 know that the body doesn't really um, perspire as readily uh, when the air is very humid. And that's how the body deals with the heat stress. I mean, in a in a desert situation, you can uh, it doesn't feel when it's 34. It doesn't feel like uh, 44. It feels like 34. Uh, but in a in a humid kind of air mass, um, where um, you know you you can't your your heat engine doesn't work as efficiently as as it would, and uh, so you've uh, more stress on the body, so we perspire uh, less, and and so therefore we cool off less. There's more stress on the body. So, in fact, what we've looked at is uh, through kind of um, the lookup tables where you look at the air temperature, you look at the humidity, and um, and if the air, if the humidex is like 44, 45, well, it would be have to be a day when it was dry and uh, no humidity, very little humidity, and it would be, it would feel like that. Your body would be as stressed at 44 as it would be at, say, 34 with, with higher humidity. So it's not something that is measured bill it's more of a lookup table based mm-hmm. on some uh, uh heat uh, heat uh, e- equations 
And uh, but I think it does represent fairly well the risk that uh, that that uh, hot and humid weather can have. And and I some people disagree. They don't think we should use the humidex. Uh, I tend to be one to think. Well, you know, if it err on the side of safety, then hey, maybe it's not a bad idea. I mean, some people are are okay with these kind of temperatures. Uh, and uh, but others like seniors and and infants don't have developed the you know the respiratory capacity. Uh, maybe homeless people, maybe people working outdoors. I mean, they they they, they need sort of some indication standards by which they can uh, can live better and seek comfort and and rest and what have you. So I think the humidex is. Um, is a good uh, a good index. Well, and that's why they use the, the comparables, don't they? I mean, I've got some friends that have got a place out in uh, in Nevada that they go and visit, and you know they, the temperatures they get thirty eight, thirty nine, forty. But they said, yeah, but it's a dry heat. Yeah, uh, and and I, I said, yeah, that like makes a difference. But your point's well taken. I mean, we have a lot more humidity here. And I noticed that the other day we had one of those pop-up thunderstorms. Uh, as, as soon as it finished, and it was only last time about five or six minutes, uh, what took out the, took the dogs to go for a walk. The air was so thick, Dave. It was almost like you were having to push your way through it. It was that heavy. Well, exactly, Bill. You know, and we, we often blame, we say, oh, well, this, this hot, humid stuff is coming from the, uh, from the United States, the Gulf of Mexico, and there's hey, no question about it. That's the character of the air mass. But, but we add our own uh, moisture to it through uh, evaporation. You think of all of that rain that we had during the, the springtime and, and sitting and standing there, and that evaporates the crops. I, another uh, uh, source of moisture is often the crops growing feverishly, and these warm temperatures, uh, they're, they're, they're really trying to, to gain speed in terms of making up for uh, uh, a very slow uh, growing season. And so all that moisture is added to the air. And sometimes you see, Bill, where I've seen in, in some, and the, most of the research has been done on the prairies, where you're looking at uh, your air temperature and your dew point and things look uh, there. It's almost like desert-like conditions. And then all of a sudden, you'll have a, two weeks or three weeks later, you'll have the same air temperature. And all of a sudden, because the crop, the wheat crop, is just growing feverishly, all of a sudden you're in putting that moisture to the air, and all of a sudden, you get a thunderstorm. You know, it's almost as if it was the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, that you just had enough moisture in the air to create a little bit more instability and and uh, and enough to, to trigger that kind of thunderstorm. So local sources of moisture are also uh, contribute to the, the uncomfortable uh, humidex. What's, uh, the term we heard on the weather the other day, Dave, was heat dome. Yeah. Uh, what yeah. what exactly? I don't know if too many people have heard that expression before. Yeah, I mean, we've used it for, it's not one that you'd find in the meteorological lexicon. It tends to be one sort of um, people trying to describe it meteorologically, and they think, well, is it like putting Roger Center over top of Ontario or something like that? <laughs> and, and, and you know, kind of, in a way, it is. Uh, you know, Bill, you, you see on the weather map all these highs and lows, you know, the high-pressure area, low-pressure. We know in a low, the air kind of rushes in at the surface and rises. It's a, a source of, it's where we see stormy weather and overcast, uh, cloud and and a lot of activity a hurricane is a low uh, a tornado is a low uh, just an ordinary garden variety thunderstorm can be a, a low pressure but in a high pressure area if you go into a high pressure area and it's it's often equated with sunny weather with calm conditions but can be hot and stifling and if you you see all of the air stacked up above you from the ground upwards and right up to where the the jet aircraft fly and that's a huge weight on on you uh, on the surface and so that's why we call it high pressure and so what happens in a high pressure area kind of 
of a dome situation is that um, the sun comes in, bakes the ground, uh, the air gets really warm and it rises, but it has to get through that, that thick, heavy layer of air, and it can't. So it's actually sent back down. And as it comes down, Bill, it, it compresses. It's sort of like when you take your bicycle pump and you kind of pump your, your bicycle tires. You can feel that, that bicycle pump has some warmth to it. So when you compress air, all those molecules of air are just uh, uh, touching and banging each other. It generates heat. Same situation in a heat and high-pressure area or in a dome, or I sometimes refer to it as a lid, like a, on top of a frying pan. And that warm air rises, but it can't, it can't escape, so it goes down. It gets progressively warmer. We're breathing the same air Friday. We breathe on, on, uh, on Monday. It's also the humidity gets in there, and it's, it's really like a pressure cooker, and there's no escaping it. And it's a feature, Bill, that sits there on uh, this one is hugely broad, stretching across, I mean, two-thirds of the United States, from New Mexico to New England, from Chicago to the Carolinas. I mean, it's a huge feature, and we're fortunate, or unfortunate, in the sense that, hey, it's, it's touching Canada, but clearly not to the oppressive, sultry kind of conditions that you're seeing in Washington or Philadelphia or New York City. And so they're really under that dome. We're just sort of at the, at the edges of it, and that's why it's going to be a two-day wonder for us, and then the, the cold front will come in on, on Sunday, and then we see next week really great temperatures, temperatures that are maybe two or three degrees cooler than normal, but still good beer drinking weather. I mean, <laughs> you can drink beer at 24, then you can at 35, too. So. I, I pretty much mastered I can drink it at almost every temperature. <laughs> it, took, it took years of practice, i got to tell you. <laughs> So that, here's, that, here's the uh, thing, though, Dave. I'm, not, I, I'm looking at your weather maps here, yep. and and is is it unusual to have a, a a weather system? I guess really a high like this is a weather system. I guess it's, although it's not a storm, uh, it's as as big as this thing is. Oh, I think that's the that's the big issue, Bill. You've hit it right on. I mean, this thing is. We often call it the Bermuda High. It's sometimes, and there's also the California High over to the West Coast, and and uh, I've seen on the weather map to this this week that these two were were dominating the weather across all of the United States. Absolutely. And um, and and it's huge. I think it's abnormally large, Bill. Um, it rarely do you see where 38 states in the United States are under a heat advisory or heat warning. I mean, that is rare. Uh, and uh, and so typically you would see a portion of the continent, but not not really dominating the uh, the weather. So you hit it right. That's why the buzz about it. That's why the Americans are following it. Why we're interested in it because it is so expansive. That's that's really everyone's talking about it from from almost coast to. Coast. Well, because we've seen that. I mean, let's face it, some of the places in the Midwest, and you and I have talked about this over the years, Chicago and places like that, they get yeah. crazy high temperatures in the summer, and, and we always get that warning, hey, it's coming our way. We're all under the same umbrella right now, and this is weird. I'm Even the map of Ontario here, as you mentioned, pretty much most of southern Ontario, all the way, actually, all the way up past Ottawa to Montreal, is under this heat advisory right now. You, you've got to you've go up around Sudbury to get away from it. Yeah, and even if you skip somewhere, you look to the north there, there's, there's some... Yeah, it's there, too. <laughs> it's coming there, and, and uh, Nova Scotia, my gosh. They're, I mean, they're fretting by 31 degrees, but, hey, their, their normal high today would be 24, so it's still 7 degrees warmer than normal. I think they'll kick in there in New Brunswick. Now, the standard for a, uh, a heat warning, uh, a heat alert there is different than us. I mean, it's a little less. I mean, they could get 29 degrees. We would need 31 degrees to trigger that. 
and their, their nighttime temperatures would be, say, 18, 17, 18 would trigger that. Ours would have to be 20 or above. So, and Humidex for them would be like 36 as opposed to 40 for us. So different, different standards in different parts of the, of the country. But still, people be laboring under those, those kind of conditions. But the, the good news, Bill, it's a short-lived thing. I think that it, we always see more health issues when this thing goes on for yeah. six or seven days like it did last year. Um, and uh, two days, uh, even, you know, uh, fit and athletic people can be can suffer under these. But people with respiratory, they can sort of problems, they can say, hey, I'll put off today what I can do to, uh, Wednesday or, or Tuesday of next week. And that's really good advice. Uh, we've got about 30 seconds left here. The other yeah. thing that uh, happens in this, we t- tend to think of the impact it has on us. I can understand that. But this is just crazy for farmers. I mean, uh, you know, oh. it's, it's really thrown off the schedule for crops this year. I mean, first of all, the crazy spring that we had, uh, some areas, the strawberries just never did uh, develop. Uh, they came in late. Yeah. Other stuff is late. Some of it's just big. Uh, the, the, these poor crops are thinking, what's going on up there? Oh, Bill, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's just like a uh, like a, a Jekyll and Hyde kind of situation for them. I mean, it's it's you don't know what is coming your way, and uh, to go from uh, you know a record war, uh, record wet and and cool, and then all of a sudden get this 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 really warm temperatures that could bake the fruit on the trees. Uh, I mean, they're just wondering. I mean, all they they're not greedy growers. All they want is normal weather, and it just doesn't seem to be happening. Certainly not this year. Dave, always great to get you on here and give us some perspective on this. Thanks so much. Have a nice, cool weekend. Ah, uh, Bill, thank you so much. <laughs> Bye-bye now. Take care. Dave Phillips, of course, uh, Senior Climatologist with Environment Canada. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.